0: Hello, this is Giron Rothstein, and this is the second paragraph of Mishlei, second parak of, second chapter of Proverbs in the OU's Continuing Nach Yomi project. And a reminder that Mishlei, you can have different topics come up over the course of different, within a chapter. Chapters are not always whole units of their own. So here we will see two fairly distinct sections to our chapter, one of which talks about, continues the discussion of the acquisition of wisdom. And then the second half uh, or about your desire to get wisdom, and then the second half talks about what happened with the acquisition of wisdom in our case, for our purposes it 's important to note that distinction because the first five second half commentary by Urbina, who was who I was going to focus on in this chapter and trying to understand the parak as he does. so for the second half we 'll take some of the issues that the Malbim raises, a late nineteenth century commentator, perhaps most well known for the fact that he was almost the chief rabbi of New York, in the late 19th century, and then something happened, he wasn't able to make it. And instead, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, Rabbi uh, R.J.J., there's a school in New York uh, named after him, there's a yeshiva, R.J.J., so that's where most people know the moment. He's also printed in many, in a very popular edition of Nach. Um, He has commentary on all of Nach, or just about all of Nach, and uh, that's very popular and very used. So to begin with the paragraph with Rav Yonah's insights, u itach. If you accept my words and you hold on to, titpon, is like tzafun in the Pesach, study, you hide away, you keep near you my mitzvot, to turn your ears towards wisdom, t'telibcha la you turn your heart towards insight, towards tvunah. Rav Yonah sees this as being um, the, the fourth he has in the first, in the end of the first chapter, he has a bunch of things that have to talk about. He, he sees as the, um, necessary prerequisites for proper service of God. There were things like choosing the right friends and staying in the right company, avoiding the wrong company. Here, the fourth one is learning wisdom in the proper way, because without knowledge, without understanding of what you're supposed to do, there's no way to do it. So, Lakshiv he says the way, the first way to get wisdom is that you have to listen. You have to turn to others and recognize that they know more than you and that you don't yet know what you need to know and you need to listen from them. Uh, this is an important point because many uh, people, in my experience, have an over... Um, have an excessive understanding of their own knowledge or their own expertise and that becomes a factor in when are they willing to listen to others and to say, I don't yet have insight on this that's relevant. I don't yet have the ability to have an opinion on this. I have to listen and learn and grow. So Rignona is saying that's the first step of wisdom is to be able to listen to others and just to try to absorb what they had to say just like we're trying to do that here with our study of Mishli. We're trying to absorb these commentaries' perspectives. So this is to absorb it, to understand it uh, in its truest way. Rabbi stresses that these people who are listening should be doing it without tosefet u'migrat, without adding or subtracting. Often you find people who are listening to shiurim or listening to people talk, and they will have already added in some of their own issues to that discussion, and they don't remember what was said by the other person, what was themselves. That's the first step. The second step, he says, is that Rabbi thinks when it says tateilibcha latvuna, it means turning away from all of the attractions of this world. He sees those. And again, I don't mean to say that every commentary we're going to learn in the course of our study of Mishlei is one that you have to necessarily accept as the absolute truth. There's a range of opinions. I think it's seeing the range that's interesting in getting to know each of them through the course of repeated uh, contact. Rabbi Yona at least, thinks of much of what happens in the outside world as just a distraction from the achievement of true wisdom. And therefore, the second level of Tatelibchal Latvunah, you turn your heart to insight, is to avoid those distractions, to get them out of the way, so that you can achieve real uh, real understanding and real insight and real knowledge. And l'havindavar mitokhtavar, that's a phrase that comes up a lot. We saw it in the first chapter, we'll see it again. Khazal always talked about this, and Rabbeinioni here, I think, gives us a sense of why that's so vital, why that's so important. The idea of being able to be m'havindavar mitokhtavar is that you don't have real understanding of a system unless you can be an active member of the system, unless you can know how the system would be extrapolated in a new situation. It's never true that a system can tell you every single situation is going to come up exactly how you should deal with it. There are systems to try, and that's why you have ever-expanding legal codes, because you try to record every single thing, and you assume that every single situation that comes up could eventually be covered by the code. But another way to do it is to say that the code or the system tells you the basics of what you need, and if you learn it well and understand it well, then you'll be able to know where the system should go in these situations and what would be authentically uh, an expression of that system, in our case the system being Torah. So, Lavin Davar Davar means that you understand what you've been given so well that when you have to apply it, you know how to apply it authentically in a way that does match the goals and the Basic groundwork of what the system was. So that I think is Navon and Then Gimel, kra, If you call out to insight and to t'vuna, you give voice. I'll just point out that these words bina and t'vuna are very related. The JPS English has it as if you call to understanding, cry aloud to discernment. But that's not. Uh, that doesn't tell us much in English. Is the difference? Between, uh, The difference between them, they're both forms of this kind of higher insight, not just the wisdom of absorbing what came before, but of knowing how to be involved and how to contribute creatively and yet authentically and traditionally. Um, And Rabiniona understands this is the need to pray for wisdom. So he sees tikran from the lashon of, uh, as, he sees as meaning to pray. And he sees prayer for wisdom as an important piece of it. In other words, that, and the Malbim will bring this up in public love, that it's not wisdom is this kind of thing you can just get on your own no matter what, and it's all within your hands. There is an element of divine assistance in this, and that would be what the prayer element would be. And then, if you seek it, like silver and you search for it like hidden treasure. Reniona points out, I think it's clear from the passage but Reniona certainly points it out that the fourth level is that when you seek wisdom you work for it as if it was a uh, a, a matter of riches, a matter of financial riches. I'm sorry, I had an interruption, but I'm returning now to Intivakshanaka Kesev, that you seek it like it's wealth and like it's riches. Reviniana points out that, first of all, you seek it harder, and it's not only that you do seek it harder, it's also that you don't even notice the amount of time and effort you have to put into it when you're seeking it because you know that the reward, the outcome, is going to be so valuable to you and something you value so greatly. If that were true of wisdom then your experience of the search for wisdom would be similar. And that is what Ben understands Mishle in this Prasuk to be saying, k- 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 or, two attitudes. First, you value it that way. If you value it that way and you seek it that way, you'll seek it harder, you'll work harder to find it, and you'll also resent the time less. Um, there are people who put in their time in, in Torah study or in wisdom study because it's important and they know it's valuable, so they slog their way through it. And it's a a requirement, an obligation. But Rabinione is suggesting that if you can seek it because it's, uh, because, because you really see the value in it, you really know that what you're going to get out of it is unbelievable and remarkable, that would be a whole different experience of it. It's somewhat similar to Rabbi Soloveitchik, who was reputed to have once said the problem with American Jewry is not that they is not that they don't daven it's not that there is that they don't want to daven they want to have daven right there's an obligation to daven there's an obligation to pray so you want to make sure you fulfill your obligation but that's not what prayer is supposed to be and that's not according to benyona what the search for wisdom was ideally supposed to be either it's supposed to be that you know there's something truly valuable and you're trying to find it and you're trying to get it pasuk hey is And if you do all this, then you will understand. Then you will understand the fear of God, and you will find the knowledge of God. And here, Aben Yona goes into a four-part discussion of what it means to be a Yirei Hashem, to what it means to fear God. He he defines the fear of God as Shlemut Hamidot v'Hayira, as perfection of your character, and then of your awe of Hashem. I I'm, I stress that because in his four levels, you'll see where he goes with that. So the first level, the lowest level, he says, is just plain fear and that's fear of punishment or the desire for reward. All that everybody Onus is that it's the lowest level. It's a level, but it's the lowest level of the experience of fear of God that you know, you know, you get punishment if you do it wrong. If you get reward, if you do it right, you do it for that. The second level would be, and it's a much higher level, he notes, that you, it's the same fear but it's not a question of fear of punishment, it's a question of an awareness of the greatness of God and all of His wonders, and a desire to not get far from that, and to get close to that. So that's also called Yerat Hashem, and Avat Hashem, but it's called Yerat Roman Muto. It's a much higher level of awe. It's an awareness of God at a much higher level, and a desire not to, to get lost from it. Then he goes on to say, um, and you know, I'm sorry, and you know, he says, that you're going to lose something by neglecting the mitzvot. And then just just go into these four levels of how you're going to get all of this. So the first is just that you know that God exists, and you need that before you can do any service of God. And the second level is that you start being very careful about the mitzvot and about serving God. You don't want to transgress anything, and that's already called Yediat Hashem, because you begin to show and demonstrate your awareness and interaction or relationship with God. The third way, and this is, I think, for Benyona, the meaning of the words in our Pasuk, Vida'at Timtsa, the third way is that you begin to experience God and see God and understand God. And he, the way he says it is, uh, he says, Hashem chasadav You know the ways of God and His wonders, His greatnesses, and His great kindnesses. And he says you do this by studying maaseh the world, Masem Merkava, a hard term, but means metaphysics of some sort, trying to figure out what God is all about. And you study it in the words of the prophecy, and you get to know it. So that's very Rambam-ish, although Rabinion is not a Rambamite in that sense, meaning, though, that he does accept the whole idea that there's an importance to Da'at Hashem in the sense of understanding all this, whether it's through philosophy as the Rambam did it or not, that would be a different question. But then when Rabinion spoke earlier in this passage about Shlemut Hamidot, Perfect, character perfection. He doesn't only mean character perfection in "I'm a nice guy" and people who know me would think I'm a nice guy. He means character perfection in the sense of shaping my whole persona, who I am, through the greater knowledge, greater prince of God. And on the next level, says it even further than that, because he says, and then the, high, the the level, the highest level of, is that all of this knowledge and all this awareness of God becomes part of you at all times, and it infuses everything a person does at all times. And he quotes a pasuk, another passage of the Rambam, was very. Um, prone to. The Rambam uh, was a proponent of or brought up prominently in his writings. Bechol d'rachecha da'ehu that you're supposed to try to know Hashem in all of your ways. The Rambam quotes in Hilchodeo that it should shape everything we do. So if you go to sleep for the Rambam, you go to sleep because you want to get uh, rest so you can serve Hashem better if you eat it's so you can serve Hashem better if you go on vacation it's so you can serve everything is for the purpose of Hashem but you notice something very similar here that Dat uh, El-Kim in the highest level will be after these levels of A knowing just Hashem's basic existence and then uh, being aware of His mitzvot and then and keeping them and then uh, learning about Hashem in everything in physics in metaphysics in Torah in Nivua in all of those things having that be part of where you are at all times and shape how you act at all times that's the first part of the parak, talking about the search for wisdom and the impact that will have. The, the next part will turn to how Hashem gives out that wisdom or whether and when Hashem gives out that wisdom. So Pasuk Vav says, mm-hmm. For it is Hashem who gives wisdom and it's from Hashem's mouth that you get real knowledge and insight or discernment or whatever that word of tfuna uh, should be. This seems to be the flip side of what we've seen until now. Until now, the recommendation in this parak, the recommendation was to search for Hashem's knowledge and to work hard at it, and then it sounded like you can get it. Malvin points out, though, that um, it's not fully true, that there are senses in which the, that wisdom can only be get, gotten, first, he says, from Torah, true wisdom, or fullest wisdom only gotten from Torah because that comes from Hashem, and that's the highest level, and you need to seek it and to pray for it and Hashem grants it. Um and then he suggests though that Hashem might grant it without having given it to you yet. He gives an example of the tradition is that Avram Avinu kept the whole Torah. And so the way that Avram Avinu would have been able to keep the whole Torah he suggests is that Hashem gave it to him in through his own intellectual searching, but because Hashem gave him a gift. So that might be able to happen as well. And then he says, it is possible that people can find some wisdom just by their own intellects. The problem with that system is that the wisdom they'll get will be very minimal, relatively, and they'll have to work really hard at it, and they'll make a lot of mistakes. Now, that's a claim. If we wanted to apply in our days or turn into our days, you'd have to think about that because there are many areas of human endeavor where we assume that we just have the ability to find the right answers and we don't... Uh, tend to think that they require any special assistance from God and that might be true but that's not the way that's not the way the uh, the Malvim seems to be understanding the Malabim seems to be saying that uh, to achieve that the, the wisdom you achieve in that way just by going on your own and trying to figure it out yourself and trying to get it and assuming that you can get it on your own will be much less than the wisdom you could have gotten had Hashem been helping you and and along the way you'll make lots of mistakes and And even once you get it, it won't be what it could have been. So that's uh, interesting. That is something that I don't know that we today are yet ready to consider the possibility of. Meaning, with all the advances that science and scientists have made, what would those advances have been like had the people making them all been of the sort who were seeking to understand God's world better and were praying to God for assistance in achieving that understanding. It sounds ridiculous to think about. There was a time when people saw their scientific endeavors as being religiously based, and there might have been problems in that because sometimes they uh, shaped what they were ready to see in the world by what they assumed had to be true about God's world, the way that God created the world, and maybe that was, in some cases, a hindrance to scientific advancement, and maybe that's what some scientists point out and therefore they're very leery of, but... It's question as to whether uh we would accept this mob or or how much we would accept this mob that I shemit khokhmabdatvuna, how much is it true that wisdom comes from God? Is it only in the very broad sense of, well, the fact that you have an intellect comes from God or is it more specific as the Malbim was understanding it? Pasuk Zayin Tushiya Magain Lahol Here makes it even a more interesting uh more a, a claim that I would want to think about even more. Than the previous claim, which is he says, aside from the fact that create, God created the world and created nature in the way that it works, He also created things that will happen in each generation in order for providence to work properly in that generation. We call these things. He doesn't say this. I'm saying this. We call these things miracles or breaks in the ordinary events of the world or great timing of the events of the world. Rabbi Meir Torsky once said to me that statistics is the way that Hashem hides Hashkacha, hides the providence in the world. So maybe he means something like that, the ma'abim. But the idea that embedded in creation, and this is sort of an idea that Ramam started off with as well, the idea that at the very end of creation, Hashem placed into creation the potential or the ability to somewhat break the ordinary flow in order to be able to have the world work out the proper way. That's what the ma'abim is talking about. And the ma'abim says and the ones who have the control over that or the ability to influence that are the uh, the, the good ones. So again, the pasuk is You get it for the, the Yisharim, the straight, the honest ones. Will uh, he hid away from them? Tushia, I think, is counsel. According to he reserves ability for the upright, is the JPS, and is a shield for those who live blamelessly. And then or chot mishpat to guard the paths of justice and the ways of his uh, of those loyal to him is chasidim. Hashem will guard and protect. So the Malvim says that all of this is talking about the ability to have Hashkachan here. So a very interesting shift because in the first half of the book we we're reading Rabbi Yona. Rabbi Yona was very focused on what we can do. He included in that the need to call out to Hashem, to pray to Hashem for wisdom. But then when you shift to, it's 700 years later that he's writing, when you shift to the Malvim, just under 700 years later that he's writing. It's probably 600 years later that he's writing. 650 years later that he's writing. When you shift to the Malbim, we're having, on, and you're shifting the part of the Perak, though. The Perak is, in fact, honestly switching to the Hashem being the one. So now we're focusing more on Hashem and how Hashem contributes to it. So, Pasuk uh, Tet, Az Tavin Tzedeko Mishpatu Meshreim, Kol Tov, the literal meaning, or at least the English that the JPS has, then you'll understand Az Tavin what is right and just. Umei Sharim and the straight ways to go, magal Tov, every good course. Following the Malbim, and in future probably won't use the Malbim as much, we'll, I'm using him as a supplement when a particular commentary that I've chosen uh doesn't actually say that much on the parak that I've chosen. So instead of trying to shift it around all the time, in this case I chose the Malbim, the Malbim suggests that Aztebin means that aside from the areas of knowledge that are clearly God based meaning metaphysics, insight into God, understanding God, that might have been what you thought the first few him that we've been talking about We're talking about. In other words, maybe my whole comparison was wrong. The laws of biology, that you would have assumed, is human because it's purely physical, and that's why science works so well in it, and that all that was meant in the earlier puzzle, was chokmah regarding Hashem and how to serve Hashem and things like that. Here the Mabim though, says that it also means that when you get it from God, you'll get also great insight into... The ways, the interhuman interactions, the uh, the ways of ordinary justice and ordinary righteousness, that too you will be granted by Hashem in the context of getting all of this wisdom. That would suggest the Rambam could be going one of two ways. It's not so clear in the Bible in which way he's going. Either he means this kind of knowledge you can get on your own, and the other stuff is what you really couldn't get on your own except with a lot of mistakes and a lot of hard work, or it could mean. The other possibility, I think another significant possibility, is that it means that you will get even better knowledge of this, that that you can't get fullest knowledge of this either without these things. So one of those two possibilities. But suddenly he's saying that you'll get greater insight into ordinary justice, and ordinary ethics, ordinary human interactions by virtue of having become this person who Hashem is granting knowledge to. And then within that, he points out, there are two ways in which uh, people sometimes have to act regarding these kinds of interactions, and that's what the difference between me'isharim and Mahangal. In English, you don't see that distinction because it just says me'isharim is how to be equitable, right? Just equitable, and then every good course, every good way. It sounds like it's just a summary of what came before. The Malbim though thinks because he's trying to be very pay very close attention to the language, say that me'isharim is the straight way. Sometimes in our ethical lives, in our interhuman lives, there's just an ordinary way of thinking. Somebody treats you nicely, treat you treat nicely back. But there are some times when you have to go around, he thinks, and you have to, have to act in ways that are not the ordinary ways we would expect in order to achieve the good and proper result. So the example that he gives is, sometimes, for example, you have to be either cruel or insensitive or deal in ways you ordinarily wouldn't want to with those who are evil. And you have to be arrogant towards them in order to fight back against them. That would be an example of a ma'agalto, of where you're going around the ordinary way. The ordinary path would be to be a nice, pleasant human being. The extraordinary path will be if I'm going to be insensitive or cruel or uncaring about somebody else, that will be in case where that person poses a greater danger to society. In in those cases, I might need to act in ways that I ordinarily wouldn't act. How to know to do that, the ma'avim is saying, you do, are going to hope for help from Hashem, and this is the kind of thing where insight from Hashem will be very helpful, and that's called Ma'agal the good ways in which you go around and do it other than ordinary. That's a very delicate thing. You can find people who say there are movies, books, and it's about people who think they're doing the right thing and they think they're doing it for the good of society, but they go off on the wrong path and they end up being looked at as being extremely corrupt and extremely problematic because they didn't know the right way, the right ma'agal tov. And then the wisdom will come. Into your heart, the, uh, I'm sorry. The Malbim says this is, w-, and you'll we'll get to a situation where this wisdom will become like a second nature to you. And if it becomes second nature to you, then no longer is there any struggle about it, and then it will become pleasant for you. And you'll have in you, in in uh, just as part of who you are. It'll be pleasant. in other words, when I first understand that I'm not allowed to, let's say, get angry with other people. Or I'm not allowed to respond to. Uh, Common insults that people do by fighting back and yelling back at the person or hitting them. At first, my anger might be such that I'm strongly, I strongly desire to react in such a way. That's why, and that eventually, and but I don't because I know that Hashem said not to, and this is not the right way. And the Gemara tells me this, and I therefore I restrain myself. So, at that level, it's not pleasant. I'm fighting against myself. I have a strong urge to do one thing and I have a strong urge to do the other thing and I battle it out and hopefully I win on the good side. but eventually it becomes second nature and that's what that's what we're striving for that's the highest level the highest level uh, the highest level in this context is when the homa becomes a part of me it's not I know I should do this and therefore I will do it it's I am doing this because that's who I am. Because that's how I understand the best way to act is, mizima, pasigit aleph, mizima, tishmur alecha, tivuna, tin And then, when you, um when you have gone into all of, the, according to the Baalbim, at least, when you have gone into all of these ways of understanding knowledge, all of this mizima, all of this understanding, this, uh, the English thinks it's foresight will protect you and discernment will guard you. The Malbim thinks it's our, your previous work. And, uh, in the, Torah that you've been learning and you've been learning from and you've been growing the, all of that, all of the ways that you work, that you act, I'm sorry um, that 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 you've learned from this will teach you ways to avoid failure and to avoid problems and entrapments and enticements and things like that and therefore you will be able to understand the right way to go and that's how it will protect you. The wisdom that you've acquired and that you've internalized will lead you in a life path that will help you avoid all of these issues, it will save you from a wrong path, it will save you from making the mistake of going into the wrong path by virtue of these knowledge and ideas that you've had. Um, and he quotes, uh, uh, and he says, you don't have the evil inclination except for in a heart that is devoid of wisdom. And then to Natin he thinks talks about matters of faith. That if you want to, uh, contradict principles of faith, in other words, he puts us both at the level of physical pleasure and the enticements of that. So how do you avoid that? That he says is a matter of wisdom, and the more wisdom you have, and it's only a lack of wisdom, meaning, I don't know if I, let's pick a food example, because those are relatively tame, but let's suppose somebody knows they shouldn't be eating red meat for their health, but they love steak. It's a lack, I think the Malbem is trying to say, it's a lack of wisdom or it's that your heart isn't yet full of wisdom that would lead you to be enticed into eating the steak. And that once you are fully wise, you realize that your body is extremely important, your health is extremely important, and that this is really the kind of thing that could lead to you dying young, then you would, it wouldn't, and we've spoken before, you could battle for a while, but eventually you'd look at steak as it, I mean, and this is an exaggeration because it's not clear that steak is the same exact thing, but it would be like it was a poison to you. Smoking is certainly an easy example. Let's say somebody has smoked for a long time. They smoke because they don't understand that the pleasure of smoking comes at the cost of their health. Even if they never get lung cancer, it comes at other costs of their health. So each time they smoke, they're damaging their health it's because of lack of wisdom. The more you internalize the wisdom, the more the wisdom will help you not just struggle against yourself, but will help you not even begin to get into that. And that's true, I think, the Malabim is claiming, that's true of almost any physical, ordinary pleasure of yaita that we have, but it's also true in terms of heresy, yaita that we might have. In terms of... In the 19th century, the Malbim certainly would have been aware of the fact that the 19th century was a hotbed of people coming with new heretical ideas, especially about Torah. New ideas, the challenges, this is the time of reform in Germany, it's the time of biblical criticism coming along and being extremely popular. So there are many challenges to faith. And the Malbim is saying that proper study of wisdom and knowledge of the wisdom of the Torah. This is what... That he, this is how he understands Mishnah to say that this Mizimah and this Tebunah, all of your study and all of your insight and understanding are going to save you from a derechra and an ish tu patav Somebody speaking things that are against the truth of Torah will help you avoid listening to them. Yosher Those, and not to join, the people who are leaving the paths of righteousness, of yosher, of straightness, to go in the paths of darkness, and here Malabin mentions, and we'll see this in the, the Gura and the Vilna as well, and he, I think, originated it, and therefore, we might as well bring it up here, the, he points out the distinction, he suggests a distinction between Derech as being a main road or main highway, and an Olach as being a smaller sort of country road, an offshoot road that would take you into the smaller towns and villages, so we nowadays would talk about it, let's say if you have an interstate And then you're going to get off the interstate and go on to, I think they might be called blue roads because they show blue on the map, the side roads that will take you to the smaller towns. Um, So those are called the The Ma'alim understands our Pasuk then as contrasting the world of good with the world of evil in this interesting way. That orchot yosher means that in the world of good, even the orchot, even the small country roads are full of yosher, full of rightness and goodness. They're the right way to go. Whereas in the in the um, evil world, even the drachim, even the main roads are choshek. Meaning, he's understanding you could have imagined that what makes something evil, and he, he's suggesting that it would have been evil, it would have been evil. If you had a road system in which the main roads, let's leave aside the question of evil for a second, just think about the side of whether these are good roads to go on or not. If I had a highway system in which the interstates and the main highways and the, are, are well paved and easy to go on, uh, when you go off on country roads, it's all of a sudden very bad. They're all like dirt paths in which you have a lot of stones and rocks, and it's bad for your car. You'd say that's not as good as a. You'd say that's not as good a system of highways and of roadways as if everything is well paved and it's easy to go on and, and well good. To, and, and and so it would mean it was a, would be considered a bad road system even though the main roads, in fact, are well-paved. Malbim is pointing out that Mishle is saying, assuming that you accept the distinction between derech and orach here, but Mishle is saying that in the good road, in the good system, in the Torah system, in the good knowledge system, even the small roads are good and well-paved, so the whole thing is good. And in the bad system, it could have just been the small roads were the problem. Meaning, it could have been that even in the bad system, the main aspects of life are good. But when you get into the niches and the corners, that's where you see the bad is. Meaning, the good system is: you're basically a nice person. You're not a mass murderer. You're basically a nice person. You this, you this, this. But in the corners, we find areas where you could be improving. Malbim is understanding that this pasuk is saying that Torah and Chachamah will save you from these people who leave even where even the Orchot are good, and they want to go and, into places where even the drachim are bad, even the main roads, even the main aspects of that way of life are themselves full of bad and wrong. That's the way understands it. I will not bring that into modern times because I'm trying not to tutorialize and I'm running out of time. Ra YaGilu Ra And they're happy to do evil and they enjoy their overturning in the ways in bad ways. mom here says a very, I think, a striking, make a striking point. He says most people who do evil in the physical sense don't enjoy it. They enjoy it maybe at the time because they get the physical pleasure out of it, but then they feel guilty about it because they know it was wrong. But where you do have a situation where you enjoy evil is in the world of heresy because then already you become convinced that it's right. And so heresy here, we would tend to think of meaning in metaphysical terms. If you come not to believe, God forbid not to believe in God or, or, to believe in a different version of God, and then you go off and act according to that religion, you're happy because you think that you're a good guy because you've come to believe that. This could even be true if you've come to believe that it's fine to indulge various physical pleasures, even though they're inappropriate. Then you'd be happy about it as well because you've come to believe it. But that's the point the Babbitt makes here: that they're gonna where these people are so evil, they've become so convinced of their of the rightness of it. Meaning, if I eat, overeat, or if I tell lashon hara, or if I do whatever, 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 and I come to be aware of it, I feel bad about it. Because I don't believe those are right things. I've given in to my lesser instincts, and I'm upset about that. but these people are so they're happy about it because they've become convinced that it's that it's right and true and good, and therefore they have no reason to be uh to be upset about it and their ways are crooked and they're devious in their course right so those are the kinds of people that this is trying to save you from And then Malbim, somebody else could have read it differently, Malbim sees this change to the woman now as being largely the same metaphor. People who are evil in their physicality, in their yetzer, in their lusts, in their appetites, and also those who speak in a smooth and wrong way, in a strange way, that would be heresy. So the Malbim does not try to differentiate. You could easily imagine somebody reading this parak and assuming the metaphor of the male evil should be a slightly different kind of an evil from the metaphor of the female evil, but that's not the way the ma'avim goes. We'll leave that for another time. reha who has abandoned the champion, the husband of her youth, and the, com- and the covenant that she made with her God, uh, she disregards. Same examples for the ma'avim, same kind. I think she turns her house towards death, and her course leads her down into... The nether world into the bad areas. Kishacha el mavet. It's talking about the lo or not. All of those who go in her ways will never come back, and they will never achieve. They will never find the archot chayim. So here, the malbim just points out a gemara. He reads it in a very specific way, but it seems to be that's the way to read it. The gemara quotes our pasuk. And then it says, How would they be able to come back? And the Gemara says, no, no, no. Even if they come back, they won't get to Orachot To tell you, this is what the Gemara says, Whoever leaves leaves heresy will die. There are probably several ways you've understood that Gemara. The Malbim understands it to mean that once you got caught up in heresy, You can never fully get back because it destroys your intellect. It it cuts away at fundamentals of how you think about the world and will always be with you. And therefore, the best you can do, you can do tshuva. You can get away. You can always do tshuva. You can always get away from it. But he says there are significant limitations on how far back you can come because uh, of the infection that it is. That's how he understands it. So that's a daunting aspect of this part of the pastor we we all are very happy about and talk about and celebrate Baal chuvah. the Malbim seems to be putting some limitations on how much he can imagine them coming fully back because once they've gotten caught up in certain ways of thinking that are alien to how Judaism thinks about things, it's not clear that one can then reshape their whole view of the world even if they become a Baal The and therefore that's why all of this is geared towards putting us in the opposite path, So you go on the path of those who are good, and you'll watch the ways, you'll keep the ways of the tzaddikim. The idea being, I think the idea being, that it's by following their paths, and looking for wisdom, and looking to make it a part of you, that you will be able to avoid all of these enticements, all of these uh, dangers, and focus and set yourself in the right way of thinking about things. So I think both Rabidiona and the Malbim are agreeing here that that the outside world, what we call the outside world, the world that is not specifically Torah-oriented, has many things in it that can lead us astray and lead us to think wrongly about life and wrongly about the way Hashem works in the world. And that's why we have to ground everything we do, first in an engagement with Chokhmah, with two chokhmah, and from there to build outwards. Ki Because the upright are going to inhabit the earth and the blameless will remain in it, uh, the Malbim thinks Isharim are different than Tumimim and Isharim already are intellectually uh, committed to uh, good and right but they're not as directly uh, they're not as soundly involved in it and therefore they might still nonetheless be led astray, but tmimim are those whom it has fulfilled, has filled so completely that they can never leave it. So, and there could be l- levels of this. There are probably many people out there who, for whom the idea of consciously and willingly eating non-kosher has become so second nature, they couldn't imagine to do it. But if you got into higher levels of what it means to be, uh, a servant of God and de- dedicated to God, that's not yet a part of them. So I don't know that you have to be either a tamim or not a tamim. It could be within their different areas, different things. And the wicked are going to vanish from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And obviously, this is fitting in with what we saw before about um, about needing to sometimes go into Ma'agal Tov in a, in a roundabout way. It does, however, bring up, and this is not the modern war video, this is me, for the last two minutes, I will allow myself, noting that we often think, I think, in our current society, we often speak as if... Um, Evil doers are always salvageable and can always be brought back and can always be a part of our plans for the future, or our hopes for the future. And this last, uh, these last few words suggest that that's not always nearly as true as we would like it to be. And there might be situations where we will simply have to cope with the fact or bear the fact that the evil doers will not be a part of that continuing future and that they will simply need to, um, be lost from our experience of that future. Mm-hmm. which is, again, as so many times, i said so many times in Navi, which is part of what Mishle is trying to help us uh, avoid by hopefully as many people as possible learning the lessons he is encapsulating here, giving us the entryway and the pathway to build a future in which we can, in fact, include as many people as possible. Have a great day.